Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show, coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska, where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. What's good, Alaska? This is the first episode of the Wednesday Must Read Alaska podcast. My name is Scott Levesque. I'm going to be your host today. I produce the Tuesday podcast, but we decided to kick up our content and do a Thursday podcast as well, and especially by kicking off this week. We've had so much going on. Obviously, you know Tuesday was election night, and there's a lot to talk about. But before we begin, I want you to take a moment. If you're listening by phone or on the computer, go to facebook.com slash mustreadalaska and like us on Facebook. If you're on YouTube, go to youtube.com slash mustreadalaska and subscribe to us on our YouTube channel and you can find incredible content on a daily basis at mustreadalaska.com. Well, I want to talk a little bit about some national news right now. We've got tons of stuff going on, a lot to talk about, but let's dive into the fact that this is the first time since 2000 that we do not know who the next president of the United States is going to be. We don't know if Donald J. Trump is going to actually be president for another term. We don't know if Joe Biden is going to uh, take the uh, the election and be the president for the next four years. We do not know anything. And I think that's a problem. That is a problem right now. And not only that, but the fact that we've been waiting this long is only stoking the fire for those on both sides of the aisle. Right now, we've got Trump out there tweeting talking about possible election fraud, about ballots being thrown out, about people boarding up the the ballot counting areas so that you can't see inside. I mean, it is pandemonium. And did we expect nothing less at this point? We have to understand this president has been warning about this and Democrats forget, but they were also warning about possibly not conceding the election and not agreeing with the results. And now here we are. We are now... At, this is being recorded on Wednesday at 7 p.m. exactly, and we still do not know who the president of the United States is going to be. Now, I can tell you right now, I'm looking at Politico, and they have Biden at 264. They got Trump at 214, and that's not including Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Georgia, Alaska, for some reason, I have no idea, is still not counted for Trump. And then, of course, the big one right now is Nevada. And there are plenty of speculation about Arizona as well. A lot of votes still not counted there. And so as we sit at 7 o'clock on Wednesday, we still do not know who the president of the United States is going to be. And this is a problem for democracy. Unfortunately, this feels like a black eye on our election system. It really does feel like a black eye on our election system. And this is not going to be good moving forward. Now, I don't expect the same type of unrest if Trump just ran away with the election, but I certainly don't think this is going to sit well with anybody. If you're into Twitter at all, I mean, it has been a flurry of different things happening on Twitter. You could see that uh, James O'Keefe 
from the Project Veritas has been putting out different videos showing election fraud in, I believe it's Minnesota. I'm looking that up right now, but I believe he is showing that there is an election fraud. And, and this is by a somebody who's been working the polls and was speculating on the fact that they were told to continually bring in ballots even after the deadline at this point. So we've got tons of wild stuff out there. And again, all this is fueling the fire for the fact that we do not know who the president of the United States is. So this is going to actually bring forth a great conversation about whether or not we should do mail-in balloting, should we just do absentee balloting, should it be in person, all of it. It's going to bring this to the forefront. And what also you're seeing is you're seeing, and this is astounding, this is absolutely amazing. You are now seeing that states are are posting that they have more ballots counted than actual registered voters. More ballots counted than actual registered voters. This is going to be a problem. Now, I'm not saying that this is going to at any point inhibit Joe Biden's uh, possible win. I'm not saying that President Trump's not going to use this to use every legal means necessary. I already know that he's filed lawsuits in various states, Minnesota, I believe, Pennsylvania, uh, North Carolina, I think he also has. Uh, I'm sure he's looking at Arizona right now. I mean, Fox News just absolutely called that far too early. And as I'm looking it up right now, uh, it was Michigan that a USPS whistleblower gives details that a directive from supervisors backdate late mail-in ballots as received November 3rd. So they're backdating ballots so that they can be counted in Michigan right now, which is astounding. And this is coming from a USPS worker that was interviewing with uh, James O'Keefe from the uh, Project Veritas right now. So again, wild stuff going on right now in our nation. And what can we say other than this is something that we expected? This is what you get when there's been so much turmoil and drama and so forth. And a lot of that has been perpetuated by the left. Let's be honest. Let's just be honest. And I know that people, you know, they hate when we play these tribe games. But the truth is that the left has been consistently agitating in this area. And nothing has been more proven in that than a lot of the the peripheral activities going on by, by organizations that definitely uh, associate themselves with a particular alignment or party. And I'm talking about Antifa, Antifa, excuse me. I'm talking about Black Lives Matter. I mean, it is evident that uh, these individuals, uh, this organization, not an idea, Mr. Biden, but an organization is... Uh, actively working against uh, a, a particular type of party. And, and and again, let's talk about those who are silencing. Big tech right now, unbelievable. Uh, Twitter was caught uh, suppressing information in regards to Michigan and voter fraud. They were suppressing information in terms of Pennsylvania and voter fraud. I mean, it goes deep. And this goes all the way back to that story that broke about uh, Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, and about the corruption that was found on his laptop. I mean, Facebook and Twitter actively suppressed a 200-year-old newspaper from tweeting. And then they blocked accounts. As a matter of fact, I don't even know if the New York Post can still tweet right now. But they they actually banned the uh, 
Uh, I, I just lost her name right now. The press secretary. Yeah, man, the press secretary. They banned her from Twitter. I mean, insane stuff going on right now. And, and to me, it makes all the sense in the world. Because as we know, as we know, there is an agenda. There was an agenda to push. And that was, we don't want Donald Trump in anymore. So we will do everything we can. And I'm talking about big tech and the mainstream media to ensure that we put, stack the chips in the favor of Biden. And we're seeing that right now. And and we're also seeing just a lot of crazy speculation uh, in terms of what's going to happen next. Because we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen next. And right now, I know that, like I said, Trump is, is already using legal means right now. Uh, there's a possible recount in Wisconsin. Uh, that race was extremely tight. Uh, as of right now, with 99% of the vote, uh, Biden had 1.6 million. So it's 1,630,552. Trump came in at 1,610,007. So, I mean, you're looking at roughly 20,500 and a difference in voting. I mean, and then we could skip over to Michigan. Uh, Michigan was tight. That was around 150,000. Uh, I mean, it's not as tight as the other one. I mean, you're looking at Arizona right now. Arizona has 86% of the vote in. And uh, and it's a 50.7% to 47.9% in, in terms of Biden. But that certainly isn't done. And then the big one that everybody's looking at is Nevada, which is probably the closest race right now. Uh, Biden is ahead 59.3% to Trump's 48.7%. And I'm talking, it is a matter of less than 7,000 votes. And Nevada could very well determine this election. If Trump can hold Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and Georgia, uh, the world will be looking at Nevada as the possible linchpin to decide who is the president of the United States. And that is amazing right now. And, and right now, uh, it looks like Biden has a slight lead there. So it's it's been a crazy night. Um, and I hope everybody got to watch the Must Read Alaska uh, election coverage last night. We had incredible guests. I mean, we had Don Young. We had uh, Governor Mike Dunleavy. We had uh, Josh Rivak. I mean, the list goes on and on. We had a bunch of great people there. And that's that's what brings me to what I'm really excited about. And I know the national election, if you're a conservative, if you're a Republican, uh, the presidential election was or, or currently is a bit of a disappointment. But I can tell you that, you know, I think the House for Republicans did really well. Uh, I know that the Dems claimed the House, but there was a lot of great ground uh, made up by Republicans in the House. Um, I know the Senate, you know, Right now, it's currently 48 to 48, with projections being that the Republicans will hold the, the Senate, which is a key, it's a firewall, as somebody termed it, to making sure that if Biden is elected president, we can stop a lot of this craziness, hopefully. So that is key. But I want to turn our attention to Alaska and what exactly has been going on in Alaska. Now, I'm pulling up these numbers from the Division of Elections here, and uh, I just want to talk. They're unofficial. This is 710. Um, actually, this was last posted today at uh, 3, just, just shy at 3 o'clock. We got, it looks like all precincts have been reported. Um, right now, there's about 193,000, just shy of that, votes cast. So as we look at this, and keep in mind right now, the latest is this. Uh, the About 26 minutes ago, 
Uh, the Division of Elections said that they still have they still have more than 134,000 votes to count, but won't start for another week. Which we can get into that. That is nuts. That is nuts. I don't understand why we have to wait another week to count 134,000 votes. Uh, that's to me. That's just out of this world. But there are some things we can look at in the elections and, and some talking points here. Number one is that Trump easily won uh, right now without those ballots being counted. Those 134,000. Trump is ahead by almost 62 percent to Biden's 33 uh, percent, which is a solid win for for Trump here. If we look at the uh, Senate race, uh, Al Gross got his booty spanked. Uh, probably by a bear at this point, but let's just, I mean, it's Dan Sullivan. I mean, 118,000, almost 119,000 votes cast for, for the current Senator Dan Sullivan, and he's leading that by 62%. So I, I think that's a solid, that's a solid outing for Dan Sullivan. And I think this is, this is going to be a trend. You're going to see this as we talk about the, the actual results for the election here in Alaska is that the, the people spoke Alaskans spoke, and it spoke volumes. And if and if you're a Democrat or if you're a left-leaning uh, centrist, just keep this in mind. Keep this in mind right now. Alaskans have made it clear they are not into this far-left agenda. They don't want it, and they're tired of it. And they're also tired of negativity and the crap that comes along with politics. Because I can tell you right now, I had an interview with Dan Sullivan, and he announced it on that interview. Al Gross and his campaign spent $35 million freaking dollars on that campaign. Let that sink in for a second. $35 million on his campaign to try to take Sullivan's seat. Sullivan right now is at 62%. He's killing it. He spent, not. I mean, I think he said he was outspent 10 to 1. I mean, it's insane. I think they had about $3 million in their campaign to use. And it just goes to show you. And Gross, I mean, that, that Bear Doctor you know, uh, commercial that we saw on every single YouTube video you watched, the, uh, the dog school one, I mean, every one of those. I do not know who ran Al Gross's campaign. And, and if it was Al Gross, he is so out of touch with Alaskans. It's absurd, which is probably the reason why he lost. But whoever ran his campaign should not run campaigns again. They should be in the music industry creating catchy tunes. But when it comes to actual political pull, Al Gross's campaign blew it. Blew it. It was awful. I mean, $35 million and the best you have to show for it is currently right now at 61,000 votes and 32%. That's it. I hope it was worth it. I hope it was worth it. All right, let's move on to our U.S. representative. I mean, again, this was another interesting race. Uh, I know Elise Galvin and her campaign, they threw in about $5 million. Again, just a ridiculous amount of money. I think Don Young and his campaign told us it was about a million dollars, maybe a million and a half that they were able to use. So he was outspent, you know, five to one. And again, the numbers are polling really well for Don Young. I mean, he is just... He, he is doing better, and he has more votes currently than Dan Sullivan. So Dan's got about almost 119,000, just short. 
Don Young almost has 120,000. I mean, one vote shy of 120,000. And he's winning 63% to Elise Galvin's 36%, almost 37, if you want to round up. Elise has 69,000 votes. And I want you to take that. This is, this is, if there's any feather in Elise Galvin's cap, it's this. She has more votes than Al Gross. How pathetic is Al Gross? And, and, and this is the thing. When you go that hard and you're that negative, and the I mean, just the amount of vitriol that came out of both campaigns is, it just goes to show you. And I don't know if campaign, it, listen, they both claim to be independent. That was clearly not the case. I think Alaskans saw right through that. And if I'm an Alaskan and I'm not, if I'm an independent, if I'm not even conservative, if, I, if I'm just on the fence and I saw the garbage that was being thrown at me, particularly by Al Gross, but also by, you know, Elise Galvin, in, in terms of this, in terms of the messaging. Now, I don't know them as individuals, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to, this is not a judgment or a referendum on them personally. What it is a judgment and a referendum on is their actual campaign. And wow, wow. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. There's some other really interesting uh, races that happen. For example, uh, as we're scrolling down, one of the things I'm watching is Senate District H, and that's Bill Wojcikowski. I think I said that name right, and Madeline Geyser. Uh, right now, without those 134,000 uh, votes yet to be counted, uh, a surprise there that Madeline Geyser is winning that race currently. Uh, with about 64, a little over 6,400 votes, uh, she's got about almost 51% of that, which is, that's a great turnout for her. I don't know if she'll hold that lead. I don't know. But I would say as somebody who was going up against what many considered was a shoe-in, that's a great turnout. Um, so I'd be interesting. I'm going to be watching that race, mostly because it's it's near where I am, and I, I think that was just a fascinating race. Uh, there's a lot of other ones in here. So uh, as I'm looking around, Josh Rivak uh, really did well um, on Tuesday. Uh, he's looking at about 68% of the vote going towards him. So, I mean, he's pretty he's pretty solid. I think the same with Roger Holland. He's got about 62% of the vote. So, I mean, some really great showings for for the the Republicans here in Alaska. And I think that's what really shone through on Tuesday was just the turnout for Republicans, for conservatives. And, and listen, it is a it is a feather in the cap of campaigns. It's a feather in the cap of a lot of people that were, were fed up with what was going on and, and really not wanting the surge of what was going on down in the lower 48 to creep up here. I mean, bottom line, we don't want it to creep up here. Listen, I'm a transplant. I'm not a native Alaskan, all right? I grew up in New England, and I've been in enemy territory, and it is brutal. It is brutal. And I don't want that crap up here. That's why I moved back from Massachusetts, because after 2016, everybody lost their mind. Nothing even happened, and they lost their mind. Donald Trump just blew their minds, okay? They've wrinkled their brains so much that it caused them to go into this apoplectic craze, where you know Antifa's born and and women's marches that have pink hats are there and it it's just it was insane it was insane so I get it you know another really interesting one right now to look at is uh, District House District 15 David Nelson who uh, who in the primary unseated uh, uh, Gabrielle Ledoux is currently winning that race at about almost 58 percent over Lynn Franks 
which is uh, I saw some interesting negative campaigning against uh, David Nelson from third parties, calling him twenty in his twenties and optimistic or opportunistic. It's like okay, now we're we're gonna shame people like that. Uh, a really interesting race right now, as we're talking about Alaska politics, is House District sixteen. So Ivy Sponholds was supposed to just carry that, no problem. And, uh, you know, I didn't see a lot from Paul Bauer. I live in that district. I didn't see a lot from him in terms of um, mailers. I didn't see a lot. Uh, I did see some digital advertising. And he is really doing well. He uh, has about 50% of the vote. And keep in mind, there's a third party in there. And and, and Ivy's only got f- almost 42% of the vote. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens there. Now, that third party... Um, I think it's Scott Colas, Colhays. I mean, I don't know. My uh, listen, he's almost got eight percent of the vote, which is it could be huge when it comes to who wins that race. If Paul can hold steady, that would be an interesting flip uh, for the House in Alaska for sure. So, I mean, there is a lot of great momentum that is going on. You know what I'd love to see though, and I and I'm really tired of this. I would love to see at least a Republican running against a Democrat, regardless. If, if the outcome is, is going to be in the favor of the, the Republican. These these House districts that are running just nobody, House District 20, I mean, Zach Fields, come on. I mean, the writing got almost 12% of the vote. So, I mean, there's opportunity here. I, I think the same thing when it comes to House District 18, Harriet Drummond. I mean, we need to put Republicans in there. I, I hate to see House District elections or even Senate seats that have no Republican representation there. So I, I want to see that. Now, House District 22, uh, Sarah Rasmussen, uh, she's winning pretty solidly with 64% of the vote uh, exactly. I can tell you that uh, Stephen Trimble was uh, pretty aggressive in his attacks on her, talking uh, about her uh, her absence in Juneau when she was quarantined. And, and it was that sort of got a little hairy too. And, and that was... Very, very interesting. But, you know, there's a couple of really wowzers. Number one is in House District 23. Man, Kathy Hensley unseating Chris Tuck as of right now is, a, that is amazing. That is a that is a home run for Republicans. Now, she's got almost 52% of the vote right now, and he's at 38%. So it's looking great for her. That would be a huge pickup for the Republicans. And, and uh, that is incredible. Um, the two that I'm really interested in is House District 27 and House District 28. And I'll tell you why. So House District 28, let's go there first. This was um, James Kaufman against Assembly Member Susan LaFrance, who, uh, as you know, was the bait and switch candidate. Uh, she did not run in the primary. So, uh, of course, that was uh, no surprise. She had a placeholder there. I believe it was her old... Uh, aid on the assembly that helped her out that but uh, I had an interview with James and James was very candid about uh, just the 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 messaging from LaFrance in that campaign and uh, the let's just call them bold-faced lies I mean LaFrance has been known to campaign rather hard and not provide correct information and James James had an incredible ground game. I, I would almost say that James needs to hold a an entire class on how to do 
uh, a ground game well in a campaign. He knocked on doors, thousands of doors, like several times, made calls. His wife, I mean, it was incredible. I got to see their operation, and it wasn't a big operation. Most of it was him and his wife. At the end, they had some help uh, from volunteers, but he right now is leading 60 percent of the vote going to him and about 35 percent going to la france right now and if i think that's going to hold real well for him and uh, i think he's going to be great in juno it's going to be tough juno's tough but i think he's going to be incredible in juno and uh, i really was uh excited for him because he seemed like he really generally wanted to and la france i don't know what she did you know i know she had a lot of people working for her i know she had a lot of money out there and she was one of the first that we saw that had that weird campaign campaign file or flyer excuse me where she uh sandwiched herself in between don young and uh dan sullivan as almost to say that they're all on equal par in terms of values and what they believe in and it was extremely deceptive and she wasn't the only one we'll get into the next one that was pretty big in that but uh she also did that door knocker uh, weird thing where it was like Senator Sullivan had one door knocker that was attached, and then right up behind that was John Young, and then it was um, LaFrance underneath that, almost again to kind of tell voters, hey, I, I align with these guys, which again, it's such a common theme. Alaskans saw through it. LaFrance was not an independent. She was not. She is not an independent. And the, the best way you can t- find out is look at her record on the assembly. And, and, and Alaskans were tired. Listen, let me just give you advice. All right. If you're a Democrat, stop treating Alaskans like they're dumb. They're not dumb. They're not. They see right through the crap. And it was never evident than election night on Tuesday. So that that race was fascinating. I was really looking at that. Now here's the real one. Here's a real doozy. In House District 27, you had Lance Pruitt pitted up against Liz Snyder again. Now Lance is the incumbent here, and uh, they went at each other a couple years ago, last election cycle, and Lance squeaked out a win there. Um, but they had the the record for the highest amount Lance did of money spent against an opponent. Well. Uh, Liz Snyder took notice of that, and this time around, they're going to smash the record. So I know for, I believe right now it's on record, that Liz Snyder probably is is spending about half a million dollars on this seat. Half a mil- think about that. On District 27, they're going to spend half a million dollars on that district seat. Incredible. Lance... I think it's get 200 maybe 250. So you're looking at a somewhere between 700 and 750 thousand dollars on a house district seat in Alaska. Insane, insane money. And if you total it up between the the three largest campaign spending Democrats, with Al Gross at 35 million, you have Elise Galvin at five million, and then you have uh, Liz Snyder at half a million. You're talking about 40 and a half million dollars being spent on Democrat campaigns in three seats that all three are looking like they're going to lose. So thanks for the uh, the economic boost. Appreciate it. Really do. Uh, I don't think that all came into Alaska. I'm sure there was a lot of high-paid consultants that thought they knew this state that obviously didn't. But again, just a great showing for for Republicans last night. And I think it's crucial that we realize this. It's so crucial we realize this. Um, 
I was really impressed with what Alaska did. So, you know, it'll be, it, all this is still in flux. Nothing is 100% accurate yet. But uh, those seats, um, you know, the U.S. Senate, U.S. Rep, and then the, the state, House, and Senate seats, they're, they're really looking in favor of uh, Republicans right now. We held really, really well. I mean, I would say, man, I'm going to say that uh, early voting, I mean, probably the Republicans won nine seats in the Senate and 29 in the House on election day and early voting. I mean, I'd say that's that's a pretty pretty good number to use. I would say I I can tell you this, not a single Republican incumbent was defeated. All 10 held their seats. I mean, it was that's impressive. That is impressive. There were six Democratic incumbents, so I mean, that is what it that it is uh that were defeated. So that's big. I mean, six Democrats were defeated. That is Huge. Now, again, we still have 134,000? Yeah, 134,000 votes to count. But as of right now, six Democrats going down. That is big. That is really, really extremely big. And I, I, I mean, that's a turning point. I mean, there may not have been a red wave, or we don't know yet uh, when it comes to the entire country. But certainly in Alaska, there was a, uh, a red wave for sure. So, you know, that's good. And, and as we talk about this, you know, early voting was strong for Republicans. I mean, they did show out in numbers. So, I mean, I would say that, you know, as, as a Thursday of voting, there were about th- almost 38,000 early votes. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens, where everything falls. I'm not quite, not quite sure. I think about, about, 10,500-ish 10, were, were cast by Republicans, and I think only about just shy of 7,000 were Democrats. Uh, the rest were either undeclared or nonpartisan. So, I mean, votes up for grab, for sure, for sure. I mean, and, and the crazy thing is this year there was about 119,000 uh, absentee ballots that were requested. So that is that is some strong... Uh, strong request numbers there, and and we'll see what happens. And and I'm just I'm really I'm really intrigued with what's about to happen here in Alaska. I mean, if everything holds, that would be a big flip. Uh, obviously, we got to talk about the two measures, the ballot measures, ballot measure number one and ballot measure number two. Uh, you know, we've talked at nauseum about this, and I can tell you right now, at least in ballot measure one, the numbers are real strong. I mean, you have about. At, at, like I said, when I opened this up at 7 o'clock, which was updated, uh, it said on here at 3 today, uh, there's about a 65 to 35% difference. So on ballot measure 1, the no's have 65% and the yeses have 35%. Uh, ballot measure 2 is is a little closer. Uh, you know, I had a conversation with Brett today, uh, just a little bit about, you know, what his comfortability was and... And what he thought about the measure, and um, you know, he, he, you know, we're hoping to hold strong. Right now, it's about fifty-six to forty-four uh, percent. Again, I'm just rounding up or down, but uh, I, there's one hundred thirty-four thousand ballots to be voted on, and I think if they can maintain uh, what they have, it's, it's, it's ballot measure two, the, you know, the three and one 
ballot measure will be defeated, and, and we should never allow that to ever happen again. I mean, what a joke that was. Jungle primaries, uh, dark money. I mean, the there's I, I don't know how else to describe this other than just a coup of of epic proportion. Why in the world would you let that ballot measure go through? There's no realistic opportunity for someone at Safeway trying to buy groceries and adult depends to be able to read 25 pages and know exactly what's going on in that ballot measure. You just can't. There's just no way. There's absolutely no way. So, I mean, I hope that never happens again. I hope Alaskans, uh, more Alaskans vote no than yes, obviously. And we can put this to bed and, and you know, get rid of the ironic thing. And, and again, we keep saying this because the irony of this is so ridiculous. Ballot Measure 2 was funded by dark money. Make no mistake. It was funded by dark money. It was funded by people. And again, this is on Must Read Alaska. The same people that were funding this ballot measure too to change the way we do elections here in Alaska, to interfere with our state's ability to do elections how Alaska wants to do it, how Alaskans want to do it, are the same people that also fund reporters over at the ADN, which may have been the reason why they were in support of ballot measure too. I don't know. Conflict of interest. But the irony is, is that they their messaging was, let's get dark money. Let's get dark money out of out of politics. Let's get it out. Like, you know, like my aunt used to sound like, who sm- chain-smoked her whole life. Let's get dark money out. The reality, they were the ones with the dark money. I believe Brett Huber said, who, who was running this campaign, no on ballot measure too, you know, uh, had said they may have raised $18,000 in Alaska. I mean, come on. That's ridiculous. So, again, I'm hoping that's a it's two no's on ballot measure one and ballot measure two. And, you know, one's looking real good. Two, it's tight, but we're, we're you know, the no is holding strong. So, um, just amazing stuff. Again, it's been a wild week already. And we're, we're only on, I'm, like I said, I'm recording this on a Wednesday night. So, it's a wild week. I don't know when we're going to know who the president of the United States is. Uh, it may take legal... Uh, review it may take recounting i mean we just don't know and and honestly this is what democrats want this is what the far left wants they want chaos because chaos creates distrust and chaos creates the opportunity to change the way they want because it's a it's a loud minority and so that's why i i mean i am imploring you as voters as citizens do not let this happen in alaska do not let it happen in alaska we have got to maintain, my plug is, hey, make sure we get the assembly fixed. Let's make sure we get the mayor fixed. We've already seen that disaster. Alaska has made public or national news for all the wrong reasons. So let's make sure that we're, we're looking at uh, taking the, the momentum we have in what we've seen here in the state Senate and the House and, and channeling that into our local municipalities and boroughs because... Uh, as we saw in Fairbanks, Fairbanks, you know, had a nice move to red, um, conservative Republican candidates, same thing down on the Kenai. So, I mean, there's, people are fed up, especially now with Corona, people are fed up. So I'm hoping that continues. I really am. Uh, the last thing I'm going to close with this and interesting, I wrote a column on must read Alaska today. I, not necessarily a column, but more just a uh, news on, uh, Oregon and some of the other states who have gone to kind of 
I guess for lack of a better term, tempering or pushing back drug laws. And I thought this was fascinating. So Oregon voted to decriminalize small amounts of hard drugs such as cocaine, heroin, LSD, methamphetamines. You be tripping on the streets, and as long as you got a small amount of it, you good. You good. What in the world? What are we doing? Man, what are we doing? Are you kidding me? I, I When I read that, I almost lost my... Listen to this. So here's the loophole. Users can avoid jail time in a trial by paying, get ready for this amount, a $100 fine in agreeing to attend an addiction recovery program. That sounds... that I mean, that's not even a slap on the wrist. That's a let me cuddle you before you go to bed. I mean, wow. That is crazy. So that was an insane... I mean, I, we already know what's going on in Oregon, particularly in Portland with the rioting and stuff. So, you know, it's unfortunate that a state's kind of got a stigma now. And I think a lot of people would just like to see it kind of cookie cutter out. But that's amazing. That is amazing. They also legalized psilocybin, which if you don't know that is, is a, it's a hallucinogenic drug. Um, so it, it's, it's kind of like uh, DMT. I don't know if you guys know what DMT is or, uh, um, man, I'm trying to remember what they call that down in South South America that they do. Uh, Wyakoska. Uh, oh, Wyakoska. Anyways, anyways, I can't remember what it's called. But it's, it's, a, it's a hardcore hallucinogenic. It's a psychedelic. And so that was passed that, that now you, uh, you can use psilocybin, anybody 21 years or older. I mean, amazing stuff. Where are we going? Where are we going? And, and some of the amazing things that I found was we already spend over $15 billion a year on substance abuse services. I mean, I could tell you, living in Massachusetts and growing up there, the Cape Cod has an, has an opioid epidemic that you can't even imagine. You can't even imagine what goes on over there. I mean, it was so bad, HBO did a, a documentary on it. That's how bad it was. So, I mean, again, D.C. approves uh, decriminalizing hallucinogenic mushrooms. So you could be tripping on the street, doing, living your best life, uh, pretending you're at a rave, uh, you know, with whatever, you know, a singlet for all they care. And so, and they're also de-incentivizing the police from actually enforcing any of this, making it a low priority, which is, again, you know, it sort of looks at the fabric. This, this is a great look at where the fabric of our country is going. It's amazing to me. I'm 36 years old. I'm not that old, but I still feel like, man, we're we're kind of tripping down a wrong way and not in a good trip, not in the trip these guys want to do. So, you know, and, and then we look at some of the other states like New Jersey, Montana, South Dakota, and Arizona all had legalization of marijuana, recreational marijuana on there. And I think Mississippi and South Dakota, uh, South Dakota on a separate measure had uh, the legalization of medical marijuana. And, and I get it. Look, we do it here in Alaska, um, but, but we're, I mean... They say marijuana is a gateway drug. Well, it certainly is a law gateway drug to allowing a lot more in this country. And it'll be interesting to see what, what happens. You know, my perspective is, is if, pe- listen, if the money draws, states will start to look at embracing sort of this, this new way of thinking about hard drugs. Oregon's just the first. If they start collecting millions of dollars in tax revenue on, on the selling of psilocybin, um, you can almost bet that other states are going to follow suit. And that's kind of what my premise is, is like, you know, if you've got a chronic problem with government overspending or if, or if you're, 
you know, you've got deficit issues and, and your people are tired of being taxed or are leaving your state, California, New York, you're going to, you're going to start to look at other, you know, unique ways of uh, collecting revenue for your state. So anyways, I'm over my time. Listen, thanks for joining me. This is the first Thursday episode. Most of it's just ranting. Uh, I've got my computer up here and I've just got tons of tabs on my Google Chrome. Just tons of stuff going on. It was a perfect week to launch this Thursday podcast. But I want to thank you for joining us. I really do appreciate it. Here at Must Read Alaska, every person that reads or watches a video or interacts and engages with us. We value you so much. I want to thank you. If you want to support us, you can go to mustreadalaska.com and you can click the donate button. It's at the top right. Um, We want to encourage you. Go on the Facebook and like us. Go on to YouTube at youtube.com slash mustreadalaska and subscribe there. Uh, We just really appreciate it. It's been an incredible run for us over the last couple of months. And it's all because of our readers, our listeners, and those who interact with us on Facebook. Uh, My name is Scott. I will see you next Thursday. Alaska, keep strong. We're heading the right direction. Take care.